Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray shining the shoes and cleaning the clubs ahead of Australia's moment in the golf spotlight. Two weeks of big time golf about to get underway in this part of the world. I saw that out of the corner of my eye and you can explain yourself later. It starts this week with the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland before heading to Melbourne next week for the groundbreaking mixed Australian Opens at Kingston Heath and Victoria Golf Clubs. All of that means that some of the biggest names in the game are here in Australia as we speak, and Jimmy Emanuel's been taking advantage of the rare opportunity to chat with some of them at Royal Queensland. More on that in a moment, but first to the more immediate business of introductions, starting with the rusted-on Adrian Logue. Logue, firstly, explain that look on your face as I was doing my intro, and then secondly, will our listeners be disappointed that we've broken with our usual commitment to walk the path less travel, and instead this week be talking about the same sort of stuff as everybody else, i.e. professional golf? Uh, um, well, my look was just, I'm impressed with how your what, what you come up with each week for your analogy for- so nowhere near as easy as I steering. make Steering, no, <laughs> clearly not. Trust me. What was the second question? I- Are our listeners going to be disappointed? We're sort of walking the path that everybody else is talking about, the PGA and the Australian Opens. Will we do it differently? Will that be helpful or will we just fall on for the low-hanging fruit? No, no, let them be the judge. Uh, <laughs> we're just Our whole objective here is to get it down to like, not have to record this thing and have the people in the room here. So once we get down to a couple of listeners, we can finally we can achieve our dream. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, interesting times. Let's jump on the information superhighway and head north where thanks to the wonders of modern te- technology we find Jimmy Emanuel, ironically, an hour in the past. No daylight saving time in Queensland, Jimmy. Have you recovered from the jet lag? Doesn't everyone love no daylight savings time? They're about to tee off for a pro-am here at 7am. Players are here about 5.30 to tee off, and then first round the, the big groups go off at 6am, so everyone's real happy about that sort of timing. Unpopular take. I'm not a summer guy. I'd be quite happy for it to be light at 4 o'clock in the morning because I'm up and about most of the time. So that It's all about you, isn't it? That's a you problem. Well, clearly That's it's not. not. got nothing to do with the rest of us. Clearly it's America not America are me, discussing because... ditching daylight saving in America. But okay. they, they can't work out which way to go. In the interest of getting off the bin path, <laughs> at the podcast studio here, there's a couple of guys who do a mental health podcast, James O'Loughlin and Ian Hickey. They're quite well known in Australia, Ian Hickey in particular. Yep. Fabulous podcast. It is. They are minding your mind, if anybody's interested. They're considering banning shift work because of the mental health implications of people having to work overnight and at weird hours of the day and night because it has that much impact on people. So there you go. There's an interesting tidbit. Mm. Uh, what was your stat last week that you had? I don't think I had one, but the well, the TV's falling the TV's on children. Falling on children. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I can tell you, I've got I've got one this week. There's 13 percent of Americans believe they can beat a chimpanzee in unarmed combat. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> Boo Weekly one of those? Didn't he? Didn't no, he fight a chimpanzee? Boo lost. He got I know he lost. He was to him by a chimpanzee. <laughs> no surprise. Good luck. Yeah. No, it might have been 17% or something. I was How just going off the top of my head. How big was that sample? That can't be right. 13% of people can't possibly think that. Americans, 13% no, of Americans. That's just That they think they can be a chimp in unarmed combat. That's a hell of a yeah. spectator sport. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> is going to put that on pay TV for sure. Uh, outstanding stuff. Jimmy, been a while since we had big time golf here in Australia. Does it feel big time? There's a real difference in feeling on the ground at a tournament like the Australian PGA, where you've got Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Cam Smith, they bring this electricity, don't they? What's the feeling like up there at RQ? 100% right. It's got a big time feel. Like it was, I was standing by the putting green waiting for someone yesterday, and you've got Adam Scott hitting putts there with Steve Williams, who's on the bag this week, watching him, and Cam comes past to say hello, and then 
you know, there's international players, the Hogard twins arrive and walk into the locker room at the same time and there's a bit of buzz and there's people around to watch too. So definitely a different feel than when I was here in January for the 2021 PGA that was actually in 2022 and, you know, Min Woo Lee was the biggest star by far. There's still a lot of people here, but the feel of the event is very different. So, yeah, it's definitely back to that sort of big-time feel, I think. There's something about having been starved as well. Did we all need a little bit of a perspective smack in the face that the pandemic gave us about the things we take for granted, i.e. somebody like Adam Scott, Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, Min Woo Lee teeing up. Right Ho- Hogarth here twins, don't forget the Hogarth the Ho- twins. In all honesty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge get. They are huge, the Hogarth Twins. Yeah. They are really, really good players. Exciting players too. So they'll they'll make a few fans this week. But uh, yeah, did we did we stop appreciating what? We, or do we have we started appreciating again what we have because of the pandemic and the enforced break from being able to see these people? I think yes and no. I think people like us who spend all of our time around golf tournaments definitely. Um, I think. But people the, like the people listeners who've got no interest in the game, they probably didn't. Yeah, well, probably no, didn't. I'm talking about like, <laughs> oh, the, no, yeah. the, like the people that come and watch events at places like Royal Queensland, I I think they're just so happy to come and watch golf tournaments. So it obviously adds a, another element when you've got a Cam Smith who's fresh off an open and everything like that. But um, I think a lot of people probably did become a bit complacent with the fact that, oh, yeah, they'll be here next year. So if I miss it this year, well, well I'll just go next year or whatever. So... Um, I, I think you can easily become – when you hang around at a lot of bigger tournaments, you just become blasé about it. So, um, But, you know, it's definitely got a different feeling this week compared to a lot of other events. Like, and I was talking to someone last night and they said the same thing about doing Queensland PGA, Vic PGA and those sort of events and then coming to here, it, it really ramps up. It's a noticeable difference. Mm. Which is not to put down those, those no, other No, they've got their own way. unique feel that's exactly. great fun. They've got but, a place. You know, this is different. We should have these couple of events where it's bigger, it's different, it feels like it means more and I plan on asking a few players that sort of question as well, you know, particularly those ones that have gone to play live golf, whether this has a very different feel to them because it means something more. Like a Mark Leishman's never won an Aussie Open or Aussie PGA. I reckon this week would mean a lot to him. We'll come back to Mark mm. Leishman. He had what I thought were some really interesting things to say really, during yeah. the week. Yeah, The pay TV thing has had an impact on this, has it not, Logue? We can watch the biggest names in the game, mm-hmm. all corners of the globe, almost five consecutive days every week right there in our lounge room. The incentive to get off the couch and go to the go to the golf and see these people in person, is not what it was in the 70s, 80s and 90s, is it? No, it's not. Um, I, I think in Australia, there's a, this little bit of a resurgence of the Australian tour by means of streaming and the and getting things on KO and Fox Sports now. I think every event in Australia this year it is, yeah. is being uh, streamed, which is fantastic. Um, and for me, I don't know that that necessarily... I think that will ultimately bring people um, to the game or to be there in person because it develops personalities like your Andrew Martins and Lincoln Ties and uh, those sort of players that start, and Jack Thompson and players that start to develop a little bit of a reputation because of the exposure that they're getting through those. I think it elevates some of the events when when the, the roadshow comes around to your town you might set aside a day where you're going to go watch because you want to see these guys on in person that you've that you've been watching on TV. And not so. to labour the point, but you really do, don't you, Jimmy? You've not seen golf like it if you're a golf fan of actual world class players like Adam Scott, Cam Smith, hitting balls. You've never seen anything like it. It really is worth the trip. 
Absolutely it is. It's, you know, you can watch it on TV all you like, mm. but it's nothing compared to the hearing the actual sound of impact of a good player, watching the flight down the line, you know, and just watching him on the range or the practice mm. fairway or the chipping green. I, I, I walked past the chipping green the other day and there was Cam Smith, Brett Rumford and Peter Fowler hitting chip shots. Wow. <laughs> like, that's three of as good as you get. <laughs> and so... Yep. You don't get that experience if you're watching it on the TV, and that's on the road as you come in from the public car park. So, you know, a, a young kid walking along and coming in in the morning would get the best golf experience you could ever have. You'll learn more about golf watching that than you will watching any tournament on TV. I think you were with me, weren't you, Jimmy, at the New South Wales Open a couple of years ago when Brett Rumford was just chipping at the practice green, and slowly but surely this crowd of young pros just gathered around the green to just watch him. You know someone's good when the other pros are going to watch. Then he put on a bit of a clinic for him, which was nice. The, 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 still the best thing I think I've seen at a tournament, covering a tournament, was at Lake Karen up a couple of years ago and watching late in the afternoon, Kiradek Afford Barnrat and Brett Rumford have a chipping comp. Oh, wow. You'd pay and for I just, that, wouldn't you? And just watched. And then exactly yeah. the same sort of thing. The people that were sort of gathered around and they start really putting on a show and just that's special to watch. Yeah. And every time Rumford hits short game shots, someone comes and asks questions. And you know, it's that's the other thing you see, the interaction between players. You know, there was there was a moment yesterday where they were all hitting putts, you know, after playing practice rounds and Adam Scott's got a slightly different putter and Brett Rumford's actually got a similar one. They started talking about it. Scott Hend wanders over and starts asking questions about it and he start they start swapping putters with each other and they start chatting what they're doing and how they're working and what's good about it, what's bad about it. And that's that's as an equipment nerd like I am, that's fascinating to watch too. Yeah. Is Adam Scott still using that ridiculous thing? He is a, sorry, yes, the sorry, John, butter, John Evans, if you're uh, <laughs> listening, but the directed force thing or something is that? Yeah, oh. well, because it's not called directed force anymore; it's called Lab or LAB Golf, okay. which is slightly different, but it's the same brand. And he's been working with them for a long time, and he's got a a center shafted long putter, but the shaft doesn't actually go in behind the; it goes towards the back of the head of the putter. It's, it's quite quite strange but I, t- I spoke to him about it yesterday for about five ten minutes so that's he, not a new idea though from, is it that that the shaft no, in the back not, that no, callaway did correct yeah um it's about it's about lying or balancing and all yeah. different sort of things and it it's a road you can spend hours on and get more confused yeah indeed maybe um, you should give it a go jimmy that's um <laughs> oh I have tried a directed force putter before, so I would be interested to give it a go. Maybe if Adam's got a spare, he can loan me that. <laughs> that seems highly uh, unlikely. What are the talking points, Jimmy? One of the things that happens when the circus comes to town is that everybody gathers around the mythical water cooler. What are people talking about in golf? I'm going to guess Liv is up there. It is. A, it's a definite discussion point. It hasn't been a big focus of like player interviews so much mm-hmm. so far because I think a lot of everyone knows what answers they're going to get out of the players about it by now. But it's definitely a talking point because it's coming to Australia in April and supposedly they've sold out of uh, day passes and they've sold out of corporate hospitality. Someone tried to tell me yesterday. So, you know, that's a big talking point. Um, PJ Tour and what they're doing with their events is a talking point. But... Um, yeah, you know, all the usual sort of stuff that you'd expect about golf and golfers being discussed so far this week. But um, there's nothing been mind-blowing to me, I must say. 
Well, you mentioned the magic word, Scott Hen. We've got a clip of Scott Hen, which I'll play in a minute. But one of the topics that has been kicking around, partly because of Scott Hen, has been the Mixed Australian Opens next week. It's groundbreaking stuff. It is innovative. He's not a fan, Jimmy, and you had a chat to him. I'm going to play a clip of what he had to say, or a couple of things he had to say. I've chopped this up a bit, and you'll notice that there's little sounds in between to indicate where I've done that. Then we'll have a chat about what it is that he's had to say and why. Yeah, it's not the best format for a national open. I have no issue playing with the, with, with the ladies. I just think the Australian Open, it deserves more recognition for the ladies and the men. We should have our own separate weeks. I understand there's issues with sponsorship from the Victorian government, but yet we don't need to be put together in a national open for, for people to compare the sexes. We're totally different. I think the tournament should be hold, held in a higher stature than that. And give the ladies their week to shine, give the men their week to shine. I'm not talking about prize money, I'm not talking about anything else. I mean, they could play for three million and we could play for two million, it wouldn't worry me. I just think that they deserve their own week and we deserve our own week for, for a national open. And that's that's how I think about it, that's how I feel about it. And, and nothing's going to change my opinion on that. Is Scott Hand saying what everybody's thinking, Jimmy? I think he's got. Uh, more people who think the same thing than he, that that he does amongst his fellow players than will be willing to admit it for sure. Um, look, it came about as Scott feels he was uh, misquoted in a couple of stories about the idea that you know he didn't believe the women's event belonged alongside the men's because it wasn't as good. And and I approached him. I've I've done a lot of stuff with Scott in the past, and I find his willingness to speak his mind very well makes my job a lot easier, but refreshing as well. It's also admirable, and, exactly. Yeah, and so I, I went to Scott and I said, look, I, I believe you're upset, and I didn't write a story that he's upset with, but I said, I believe you're upset with how you've been quoted and how this has been handled, and I said, I want to give you the chance to rectify that. Tell me exactly what you think and uh, and why. And look, before the, the concept came about of playing the Australian Opens together, there was people who always said, oh, the Vic Open model would be great, and I always felt I would like to see them stand alone because – a national open to me is a the, the the peak of what we've got in this country, and I think those weeks deserve to stand out on their own. And primarily, the women's event was a stronger event than the men's, mm. so it deserved not to be brought together. But it is understandable why they're doing it. It's gotten a lot of press and and coverage around the world. Um, you know, it it helps a lot with sponsorship mm-hmm. um, from governments and everything like that, which is just part of part of running golf tournaments. These he he's probably got a point, but it's a bold point to make when we haven't actually run the event yet and, and seen how it goes, I suppose. One of the things I cut out of there that Scott said was that um, there's plenty of other weeks of the year to do this. His feeling is not that mixed events are a bad idea, but for the National Open. What do you reckon, Like, Is he saying the quiet part out loud? Perhaps. First of all, congratulations on the little whoosh sound effects between yeah, no, the you. cuts and everything. That was very good. Um, I, I think what it's worth discussing, because he didn't say there exactly all of the things that I think he's finding objectionable about the format. There was a lot of wind in the yeah. bottom of it. There were bits that you couldn't and, hear that and, I took out. So. And I will be using more of it for a story. As yeah, well. that's exactly So there's, right. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just mention one is that there's a you know, third round cut, which is necessary to get mm-hmm. everybody um, playing in the alternate groups on the Sunday. That could probably be overcome, but it's, it is the case. Yeah. 
my issue with it's always been that the field on the Sunday, the last day, is only 30 from each side of the field. Yes, that's, and that's right. That's too small that's for a national That's too small for open. a national open. Yeah. I, I think that's a very valid criticism and should be considered, should be taken on board. That's that's definitely one of one of Scott's points yeah. about this all. And, and I, I agree. When we spoke about it yesterday, actually spoke about it a bit later on when we were both walking to our cars and he said, you know, you can those sort of golf courses. You can be four shots back, and you're actually in tied thirty six. Yeah. So yeah. if you lose that chance on the Sunday to go out early and shoot sixty two, right. which can happen on the sand belt, yeah, of course, you miss your chance. And, and I said to him, that's often in an Australian Open. That's often a young player. You know, Cam Davis came from yeah. a long way back yeah. when he won his Aussie Open, and yeah. and what happens if we get to Saturday evening and Cam Smith, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Ryan Fox are tied thirty six. Well. They get We're cut. They go happy. home. That's what happens. They go home. Yeah, they go home. <laughs> yeah. So look, you can't. You don't specialize it for a player, but those guys have the ability to go low on a Sunday to chase down a Stonehaven Cup, right? So, you know, and same with the women's field of you know, Hannah Green, Minji Lee, Ashley yeah. Buhai. You know, there's lots of stories. So I think when it comes to a national open, that's hard to sort of get your head around that it gets cut again after 54 holes. So this time of year in Melbourne as well, we there's plenty of plenty of light, isn't there? Is it actually a, an issue of being able to get everybody in the course or is it just trying I've to concentrate, so. there, there's concentrate also been, the action? The players have also complained in past about what they call the U-shaped draw that they yeah, run. Yeah, the U-draw they don't like the, at all either. Yeah, yeah which I'm not even going it, It's as complicated as the world rankings, but it, <laughs> the players don't like it, which is really a good thing. Having said all that, I'm going to con- contradict myself immediately and say, I'm really interested to see the experiment as well. I don't think it shouldn't be done just because there's some legitimate reasons not to do it. There's also some legitimate reasons to do it, and let's have a crack at it and see what happens. Now, you also asked Adam Scott about this. I've cut his quote down as well. Let's have a listen to what Adam Scott had to say. The mixed events have had some success, particularly in Australia, I would say, but we're seeing a few more around the place, and they've had some success, so maybe it really makes sense for this market. So I, I look forward to playing next week and I'd maybe reserve final judgment until I've at Too least experienced good. it. Yeah. Adam, a much better politician than Always Scott Hand. So measured, isn't he? <laughs> Very measured. Yeah. The, some of the points he made before I cut that bit out of it was, and he, he raised immediately the commercial sensibility of it, particularly here in Australia, and he's quite right. It saves a bunch of money to have the two tournaments together. I suspect that that's been a big part of what drove the decision to make this move with the Australian Opens. Um, but just some thoughts on what Adam Scott had to say. Obviously, nothing that will give you a great headline, unfortunately, Jimmy. Not like Scott Hand. No, but that's exactly what I expected out of Scotty when I asked him the question. Two I different mean, Scots. <laughs> yeah. It, he did give me the exact response I thought, which was a look off into the distance and a as he worked out his answer, which is always means you've asked Adam, he's got, you know, he's got to think about it a little bit. But he was, you know, he was, he was giving the right answer of what he should be doing, I think, which is, you know, he's going to wait and see what it is and that there's commercial realities and everything like that, but he hasn't played it. So how can he say he hasn't played a Vic Open? He hasn't played a mixed event anywhere, to my knowledge. So his experience of it as a player is what he's going to rely on, I'd say. But he's also someone who's very much, you know, thinking about how it all comes together for Golf Australia and the WPGA and the PGA Tour of Australasia, which commercial realities are a very big part of things. It's pretty important to have the players on side, is it not? 
Logue. They can choose not to play. And if someone like Adam Scott decides next week he doesn't like the format, doesn't work for him for some reason, you've got a problem if you Golf Australia or a tournament mm-hmm. organiser, don't you? So Yeah, it's interesting because the tournament organisers have uh, many considerations that go into these decisions, and some of it's commercial, some of it's practical. Once the commercial decisions have been made, that causes some practical decisions to be made. And so if you're the if you're a tournament director or something, you've got a lot of stuff going through your head and you could explain the thing very, very completely, but you've got a bunch of players out there who people are going to stick a microphone in front of and that's going to get a much bigger audience than you could ever get sitting them sitting the whole yeah. golfing public down for a lecture and say, now this is how we're doing it and this is why <laughs> this we're is doing why, it. It's all very noble. So those little sound bites that players end up giving is, is very much sort of passing judgment on it and is going to seep into the public opinion a lot more. So, you know, they need their messaging to players needs to cut through pretty clearly and, uh, you know, they really need to read the room with the players and then hopefully... You know, the message is aligned, but it doesn't have to be. Like, it's hopefully from an administrator's point of view, the message is aligned. But um, you know, they should be asking the question. I often think the players don't think very deeply about this, and why no. should they? No, like they're just getting a microphone stuck in their face. And what's the manner is you cut out when he does that? Uh, he does. The, Adam Scott yeah. starts tra- yeah. tracing down his <laughs> his cheek with his index finger, doesn't he? So he, he often does it. He often does it with a T if he's holding a T, right? Like scrape scrape. So that double with a T. That's when he's thinking, and you know he's probably a pretty very thoughtful person, but he he's not necessarily thinking constantly about the answers to these sort no. of things. Like somebody, a golf administrator, who's at job, so he gets a microphone stuck in front of his face, and there's no. No surprise that he's going to give a pretty conservative answer. But some players don't, and, you know, that's that can have a pretty resounding impact. And sometimes they hit the mark and sometimes they don't. You see that with Rory, don't you? Like, for such oh, a thought. One of the appeals of Rory is yeah. he makes loads of mistakes yeah. <laughs> by opening his I, mouth when he shouldn't. I take issue with ha- having a microphone stuck in his face. We were just having a very casual <laughs> chat that I was recording. It was, it was quite cordial, if I'm honest. But, look, I mean, one of the reasons I asked Adam about it was I was talking to him about something else, but he played 18 holes in a practice round with Scott Hand yesterday. So I sort of said, look, you know, Handy's copped a bit of flack for what he said about it. You know, what do you think of what he said and, and did you guys discuss it and – let me guess. He said no, no. Don't know what he said. What are you talking about? What's the controversy? <laughs> no, exactly nothing about right. it. I mean, yeah. there's 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 the difference in players. You've got the very yeah. online Scott Hand and the very <laughs> offline Adam Scott. So, like, it's it 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 interested me because I I wondered if the players had spoken about it. But look, that'll probably be something that'll happen more next week when they actually get there and the realities of it hit. But um, yeah, it, it's the players and don't think about it because they just show up to play, but then they think about it when it comes to the Saturday and the cut happens and they yeah. miss or they make and That's then they go, oh, I don't like this, <laughs> they or they end up on the wrong side of that draw and they yeah. don't like this. But, so it's, it is, it's really interesting that Scott Hens thought about it before and spoken about it. Yes. And there was a bit of confusion about, look, he's not in the, he wasn't in the field. He didn't receive an invite and he's no longer a member of this tour. Well, I'm not sure exactly of his status on this tour, but he, he said one of the things that I wanted him to clarify was that he wasn't going to ask for an invite. He wasn't going to try and qualify. He wasn't going to do any of that because he didn't agree with the format. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, it, I've spoken to him about winning Australian Opens before, and I dare say if he was here playing the Queensland PGA, Australian PGA, like he has been, he might have tried to get in by any way possible if it was a different format. But, like, I, I think that's a, that's a 
a refreshing thing as well that he says, I don't agree with it, so I'm not going to try mm. and take a spot because I shouldn't. I'd, and he said to me, I would be a hypocrite if I if I took a spot in that field when I've been publicly saying I don't agree with the format, which you don't get that from a lot of uh, tournament players. No, interestingly, you did get it from Adam Scott about the Olympics in 2016. Exactly the only right, one who stood up and said, I don't think it should be in there, therefore I'm not going to go play it. So agree with him or not, you have to give Scott Henderson credit. For that, the Australian PGA, of course, won't be super happy about everybody talking about the Australian Opens coming up next week on their kind of week. Um, Royal Queensland, Jimmy, I want to get your thoughts on it. I've not been there. I imagine you were there last year for the PGA. It's a very different test for the players to what they face most weeks. It's an extraordinarily different test to Royal Pines where this tournament was for a few years beforehand. What's the take on the course? I would imagine it's somewhat polarising for a professional field. Find many that don't like it, to be honest. Um, again, I, I spoke to Adam Scott about it yesterday, and he, I sort of said it, it's probably the course kind of course you'd like playing, but you never play in tournaments. And he said, "Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't get anything like this PJ Tour or anything like that." There's a lot of a lot of positivity around it. They really like that. You know, it's wide off the tee, but mm-hmm. you got to hit it into certain angles, and and the the approach play is very. Pre- precise around here the greens are tricky and the runoffs are, are difficult and yeah, it's grainy it's queensland grasses in the heat in summer it's grainy it's hard to chip it's 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 difficult if you miss greens and and the pin the pin options out here are, are pretty vast as well in terms of shelves and stuff like that that can really change greens but um you know minwoo lee was another one who spoke about it yesterday talks about how much he really likes the golf course but hasn't quite worked out how to play it um it's it's bedded in a lot more um, over the last couple of years than you know when I saw it first after its renovations and everything like that. And um, it's interesting because Cam Smith and Adam Scott were both junior members here um, and have come back really for the first time since it's been actually completed and talked about how much they love the place and that it is uh, you know there's a few people that have said bit of sand belt in Brisbane. It's um it's very different to what we get normally for tournament venues, but very different to this area as well. And mm. yeah, I haven't had I haven't had many players tell me they don't like it, but that generally comes on Friday afternoon. Oh, back in the bag <laughs> and going home. Ask them after they've just made a bogey or a double somewhere. As spectators, Logue, I look forward to this sort of mm-hmm. golf and seeing something different. Do you think it works though? There's a whole notion about the retail golfer. There's probably a retail golf spectator as well who's very much conditioned to watch what we see most weeks out of Europe and America. Mm. Well, ideally. We'll see a pretty firm Royal Queensland this week because I, last year my recollection of this tournament was those green surrounds were pretty crucial. In fact, they had a, a huge a play, outcome play on the, in the the women's the especially yeah. WPGA with um, Grace, Grace Kim, Kim. Kim. Yeah. didn't fail to get up and down from over the back of thirteen or something like that. But it's uh, the greens were a little bit soft last year, I thought. But even then, you've you've got holes like seventeen the spectacular little par three which is surrounded by sand and it didn't really matter where the pin was or it mattered a lot where the pin was because the the part of of that green they're all hitting the green they had no problem hitting the green the the spectacular sand around that green was more more of a visual than anything else but where they hit the green was crucially important to could they convert that into a birdie opportunity at that crucial point in the tournament and uh, I think that's where Royal Queensland actually can shine. Is At its best, it's a little bit like the old course where it looks flat, but when you're out in it, it's got a lot of yeah. big shapes in the ground. 
and the ball rolls around in those shapes. And then the green surrounds are a bit like that as well. And the green interiors are like that as well there. So if it can be all firmed up this year, I think uh, we'll see a good tournament. We'll see good golf. It, it tests more of the imagination as well as the execution of the players, that style of golf, it feels to me, doesn't it? So it doesn't suit all types of professional golfers. You can become a very good, successful professional player by simply mechanically being able to hit 15 different types of shot Hmm. without ever really needing to think about doing any of those things differently. This sort of golf, you've got to mess with flight, trajectory, spin. Angles. Angles. And you may have six different options. All of them perfectly legitimate from any one spot. That's right. And that produces that element of doubt in a professional golfer's mind, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Where they reach into their grab bag of tools that they they know work and it doesn't work. So suddenly, you know, what do they do? Of course, course, like Royal Queensland can smell the fear. (laughs) (laughs) It can can sense fear. Beautifully put. The the fun part of tournament weeks is always practice rounds and walking around Mm -hmm. and seeing what's going on. And the biggest takeaway this week is it's probably a little bit uh, the grains a little bit more significant around the greens um, than it was in January, and to watch players like you know these Adam Scotts and everything like that over the back of uh, the ninth green take a six iron and try and chip it into the hill and get it running as quick as possible to counteract the fact that they're chipping into the grain and it's rolling down grain because trying to take a wedge of any sort is just going to end up embarrassing yourself is really good fun. I mean, those are shots you don't see that often um, outside of you know open championship weeks, but it's a different shot to that sort of style of bump and run sort of shot. And um, I think it, it really challenges, but it also gives so many options in terms of creativity. You know, I walked around here at the study with, with Mike Clayton when he was catting for Elvis, Elvis Smiley and we talked about all the different options and Sue O was with them and, you know, Clayton was trying to say to Sue, you know, put your wedges away, take out, you know, you like to putt along with a hybrid or a high lofted fairway, would do that. That's the way to do it around here and um, it's definitely a different sort of challenge. I will I will say that when you do see it on TV, it it looks a little suspiciously green around some of the putting surfaces and on the putting surfaces, oh, like as in... Some scandal. Is it painted? No, well, it just looks like the bit of fertiliser with a bit of green in it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> just, grain really trips up professional players. It trips all of us up. But grain is really hard to deal with because the club interacts in such an odd way with the turf. It can be very hard. You take well, most I, of these players on to the Sandbelt or Sydney, they'll hit different shots to what they will in Queensland. I, I, I know you both like to make fun of my putting, but I don't think I've ever hold a putt in Queensland. Like, I just can't do it. It's Grain is just that confusing to me and ha- trying to read grain and see it and all that sort of stuff. I understand the concept, but the execution is just not there. And yeah. I hope to see some players looking in the hole this week. Has that ever worked for you, Jimmy, looking in the hole to see which way the grass is sticking yeah, yeah, yeah. out around I, the edge? I've never, I, I've never seen it. I've tried it every time. I, maybe my eyes aren't good enough, but... It's got to be generally later in the day, but I've caddied in a couple of Aussie PGAs and at Royal Pines particularly, it's the Royal Pines grain wasn't as visible as it is at a place like this where you can see the shiny is down grain and the That's dark the is into the it? grain. Yeah. You you go and look at the hole and the way the hole is growing back and there's a burnt edge and that's, you know, that's the down grain part and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've, I've done a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No wonder you're all messed up when it comes to putting. <laughs> Way too much thought. <laughs> Do it all. I, th- I think and hope we'll see some really compelling golf this week. I suspect we will because of the nature of the course and the nature of the field. It feels like it could be a really, really interesting week's golf. So let's hope that that happens. <clears throat> Pardon me. We mentioned the name Mark Leishman earlier and the whole Live Golf thing came up. 
Super interesting quote from an interview that he gave to Adam Pengilly from the Sydney Morning Herald during the week uh, on not perhaps perhaps not playing the majors. He's fallen out of the world's top 50, which means he won't get an automatic start in the Masters next year already. Uh, and it may be that he ends up having to go and qualify for the US Opens and British Opens at some point in the future. Here's what he had to say, though. And I think this speaks to something much more broadly. I've played at pretty much all the majors for the last 12 or 13 years. I've had my chances. Obviously, I want to play them, but I'm fine not playing them. Can anybody imagine a player saying that just five years ago about the majors? A player of Mark Leishman's calibre at this stage of his career where he is, Jimmy? Um, well, I think Mark Leishman's a unique player when it comes to top players in world golf because he seemed always like the perfect fit to go to live golf. He's, he's a guy who you know, has come from a country area in Victoria and Warrnambool and gotten a lot out of his talent, probably not everything he could have got out of his talent. He, he, he had major winners sort of all over him for a long time, but he really loves his life away from golf and, and golf's been pretty good to him and live golf is very good to him financially and it gives him a chance to just relax and have a bit more fun and play golf tournaments, I think, more for fun. And uh, I, it probably sits with me that he thinks, oh, well, maybe I wasn't going to win one anyway, so... Uh, it just takes a little bit of the stress off, you know. He, he, I think, showed up to US Opens and pretty much every PJ Championship knowing that he wasn't going to win it. You know, he doesn't have the game to play those sort of golf courses and those tournaments. So there was two out of the four where he probably thought he was not much of a chance. Um, but it's it's hard to imagine a couple of years ago before live golf that players would even consider... Any player would know, ever say, say something like ever that. Ever say something like that. I mean... Th- there's examples of other players not going to play certain majors. Like I think I think it was Kenny Perry when he had a run late in his career, and he just said, "Well, I'm not going to the Open Championship. I yeah. can't play there." So the boat the boat trip you know, is too long. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the private boat in the air is too hard to. Uh, Scott Hoke, I think, was never a big fan of the Open. He used to. Tom no. Weisskopf once skipped a Ryder Cup. Oh, imagine what that must yeah. have been like at the time. I guess, Logan, it put me in mind of something we mentioned last week, which is Shane Darby's fabulous Firm and Fast podcast episode with the professor whose name now escapes me talking about the origin of Irish golf and that small bit near the end where he talked about taking the success of the sport for granted. And I've always lived my life assuming, as most golf fans have, I imagine that professional golfers, the majors are the pinnacle of the game. There is absolutely no question ever. That's quite a confronting statement to me from Mark Lee. Now, he may be the only one. But in the same way that the Coliseum is now yeah, in the Coliseum, that comparison started was with a rock striking. somewhere, didn't it? I, I would say that that Coliseum comparison. I'm just going to address this actually because I want. I was screaming into my phone when I uh, heard that because the chariot races in the Coliseum have continued on. It's F1 now. Like it's just, <laughs> it is. It's it's absolutely it's Coliseum, on. but louder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well done. Some of you. That's very well done. Um, the, uh, but you know, that said, what's true today is false tomorrow. Like, it, it, nothing's nothing's forever. Um, yeah, that's happened in golf. Like, just to to imagine that. Um, I, I'm just I've just been looking at that Bobby Jones Stroke of Genius movie, and you know, it was less than a hundred years ago that the four majors were considered two of them were amateurs, two different tournaments. Yeah, two of them were different tournaments. Uh, that could happen again. Things evolve, things change. Yeah, th- there's some chinks in the uh in the the impregnable quadrilateral of the modern majors isn't there they're um uh they they could it could change things could change i don't think things like the players championship wasn't a serious threat i don't think but it was a threat 
but it's you know it's the first sort of volley that was served at at um at the the modern majors and these this live golf is another disruptor is is mark leishman there was a bit more to that quote though wasn't there because he's not actually going to give up on getting into no, no, those no, no. majors. No, 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 no. He did go to say, I'll try it, to qualify for the British it, Open and the US Open. He called it the British Open. There's two faux pas already there. It's the Open, Mark. Uh, if the world rankings happen, I'd love to get into the Masters. If not, I'll watch it on the TV and hopefully watch Cam Smith win it. Yeah, so it'd be extremely disappointing if he just gave up completely no. and didn't attempt to qualify. And uh, and that's going to be fascinating because there will be some live golfers mm-hmm. who uh, think feel it's beneath them to qualify and don't turn up. I wasn't suggesting that he wasn't going to try to call. I was merely suggesting that I find that that's a – it's not a huge deal. Mark Leishman's just said this one thing. But you cannot imagine a player, even if they thought that, saying that just three years ago yeah, yeah, about the majors. That, that would have been a stand. And we rely on the majors as one of those pillars of the game that maintain the integrity and everything else about it that, that that's – that. They are. They're the four tournaments that some golfers are the only four tournaments that they watch each year. It doesn't matter what the rest of this clown it, show is going exactly on. That's exactly what the majors are the majors. If you win a major, you're going to be remembered. And they're yeah. credible and they always will be. And here we have, you know, a top 100 player in the world saying, eh, well, if I don't get in. It's, it's a really interesting shift in perspective. I'm not saying it's wiser. But you can see how generationally it wouldn't take much. No. No, absolutely I, not. I, I mean, I think everyone's assumption has been that this whole live golf thing is going to elevate the majors further because it'll be the only place you can see the top players actually all play together and, you know, the majors are going to be Switzerland in this whole thing. But, you know, Leash is the first guy to say anything contrary to it because that's how he feels. And I I was talking to Adam Pangili about when he got the quote from him and he said, I was on the phone and I sort of didn't know what to say next. I didn't think that was ever coming out of him. So, you know, I don't know that maybe if, if you gave Mark some more time to think about it, he might rephrase it a little bit. I don't know, but um, it's interesting that maybe that's, you know, it won't be Liv trying to create majors and the PGA Tour trying to create majors. It might just become more league-based. You know, there's, to talk about the, what did you call them? The, the modern chariots and the Coliseum. Like, there's no <laughs> major F1 races. There's ones that are more paid attention, like there's more attention to, but they're all F1 races. They're, well, so, they're, they're all majors. You could, the... If the they're minor- all majors, then none of them are majors. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> no, but you've got the other, the other like Formula Two and all of the other divisions coming up and everything, which are the non-majors. Like, well, so that's the Corn Ferry Tour. That's exactly right. Anyway, we are really <laughs> off <Yeah>. track. <laughs> Our comparisons <laughs> break it down. I wasn't trying to single out Mark Leishman either, by the way, who I've met a couple of times, and he's a very likable bloke and has been a fabulous ambassador for Australian golf for the most part. But I just think that's extremely interesting to hear a player of – at his point in his career and having achieved what he has, that that would be even a thought. And you're right, he might rethink and rephrase whatever, but... He could get hoisted on his own petard. That's the th- first thing, that, that that's what came out. <laughs> um, yeah, And congratulations, Pingas has been doing some great work recently. Hoist he so. has, he, and he's a, he's a very, very, he's very good, good journo yeah. and a good bloke too, Pingas. So. A bit thin like you, which is not in his favour, but otherwise a good bloke. Oh, you're thin-shaming. Hey? Thin shaming. Oh, not shaming. Just have a little <laughs> think about some of your life choices. That's all. Uh, interesting. Uh, 
interesting I, stuff. I, 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 I can accept some of my life choices being questioned, but you know, <laughs> thin, not one of them. Not good, good health, not one of them. Don't think that's a fair question to ask. And fair enough to, to. I quickly want to before we move on. I quickly want to. Well, we are moving on. I quickly want to point out Lydia Coe's remarkable. You and I have spoken about this, Jimmy. She sort of flew under the radar most of the year, Lydia, Lydia Coe, by finishing second, third, fourth all year. She won the big one at the end of the year. She is remarkable. I think a bit like Tiger Woods. We forget just how stunningly, remarkably good Lydia Coe is. What she achieved this year is off the charts, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I mean, that the consistency of results, and it wasn't a swag of you know win, tournament wins, but to play at that level on that tour, which is so competitive mm. at the top end, like it's every every major every professional tour is competitive, but so competitive at the top end of town, um, and get those results and you know win a couple as well is so impressive, and you you, you forget she's not as old as you might think. Mm. You forget how good she is. I mean. Mike Clayton and I were talking about it the other day. We were talking about the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific and a couple of the players I saw there and about the potential and a few coming out to play the Australian Open and things like that. And I I mentioned one of uh, the players from Thailand at that event who impressed me with parts of her game. And then I said, but this is, you know, it's not good enough if she wants to, you know, play at the highest level of professional golf. And Clayton said, oh, how old is she? I said, 19. Too late. And he just turned and said, Lydia Coe is the best player in the world at 15. That's right. And you just you forget, forget that. that you forget that you know a fifteen year old was the best player in the world, and I was doing something about the Australian amateur um, for an upcoming magazine issue, and you go back and think Lydia won that. I mean, she won that. I can't even remember how old she was. She was winning the biggest amateur event in this country, and here we are in twenty twenty two, and she's dominating the LPJ tour, which is so hard to do. Yep. Um, and then preparing at some stage to walk away from it pretty young and everyone will forget and everyone will miss how good she was. You wonder whether you, you wonder whether she will actually go through that. I, 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 as a fan, I hope she doesn't. We saw it with Lorena Ochoa, didn't we? She was the next mm-hmm. closest thing I think of when I think of Lydia Coe as just being a force of extraordinary talent. Walked away from the game, I think even before her 30th birthday, perhaps. And, she did, uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Just remarkable. Just um Anyway, so we'll- we've we've got no claim over them as human beings. <laughs> like they're, they're not just purely there for our entertainment. You know, Are they you can- sure about that? I'm fairly <laughs> certain that that's how it's supposed to work. Professional golfers can uh, yeah, make, Retire, make those choices. They, should they choose? Lydia Lid- yeah. Coe's like already have been around forever. Well, she was 14 when she won her first tournament, the New South yep. Wales Women's Open at Oatlands. I don't think I was there that year. I was pretty sure I was there the year before when she, when she lost it. One. She yeah. lost it in a playoff as a 13-year-old. Yeah. Yep. So obviously a fast learner. She learned from that mistake and then won it the next year. And then she won the Canadian Women's Open. I know I've said this before. At the age of 15, with 19 of the top 20 players in the world in that field, mm-hmm. beaten by a 15-year-old. And she was playing golf at that point in a way that few people have ever played golf. Very much so. Um, mm. And, yeah, it was she, – she got very technical at some points in her career and she fires a lot of caddies for some reason. I'm not sure why. But She's been through a lot of coaches and a lot of caddies. A lot of coaches, a lot of caddies. Um, yeah. And and that, that technical thing, she seemed to lose away. But you could tell in the last year and a half – She's she, changed. She'd She's absolutely sort of yeah. thought to herself, um, I, you know, I've, I've still got this – I, and I'm, and she's got this grit about the way she plays, and that's testament to all of those uh, near near wins that she's had this year. There's been a lot of grit. Yep, and that's what you see in a champion. I, I know a lot of uh, golf professionals and golf people from New Zealand, 
And the stories they tell about her as even younger than when she came out and started winning tournaments was you'd go to this golf club and you'd, you, everyone had heard of Lydia Ko, but you hadn't seen this, this player. And, you know, good players and they go, oh, how good can she be? And one guy told me he was, you know, went down to the practice area in the short game area and he saw this tiny little kid just put on the biggest clinic of a short game performance he's ever seen in his life and just went, I guess that must be Lydia <laughs> She could Co. be that good, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, she was you know, 11, 12 years old, and it was just unbelievable how good it is. Oh, her short game's and, off and, the charts. She's and, off the charts. And she's, re- and she's you know, not, not exactly the same way, but kind of like Tiger with all those coaches and stuff. She's been through a few different mm-hmm. swing models and yep. all that sort of stuff. David Ledbetter made her the the model of the A swing, which was just yeah. a golf swing. He seemingly came up in some sort of fever dream. Yep. <laughs> and it, mm-hmm. like, it, it really hurt her game for a while. Like, and she built back from that. But yeah. I think at that top level, those sort of players, she's trying to get better. She's not trying to maintain. She's trying to get better, mm-hmm. which when you're as good as she is, I mean, trying to get better doesn't make any sense. No one, No one's ever made a player that good better because there's probably not been a player that good in that game right so you, you you're searching and and she's searched but she seems to have found a real happy spot in all of her stuff around golf that she's just going to play really well and then knowing that she's going to walk away from it whenever she decides to yes if you're not worshiping at the altar of lydia co you should be one of the things Absolutely. i love about our audience here on good good is i doubt we'll get emails about your um slighting of david ledbetter there because our audience not really wide that way. There's podcasts if you'd said that on where you'd be inundated and you'd be hounded off social media, but well, I don't think we'll like, hear a peep I, about I, it. That I've A-swing great, thing I've got a great deal of respect for David Ledbetter and the work he's done with a lot of players, you know, the work he did with Nick Price and Faldo and Ernie Els and all that sort of stuff. But the A-swing run was he came up with a new way to swing the golf club and there was a book and all that sort of stuff. And I dare say that he's probably not teaching that model anymore. Mm. You know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> we certainly do, Jimmy. I've gone off into another place thinking about some of the mistakes I've made. I better come back before we uh, before I get stuck there. Logue, you've put something on the list here. Qatar World Cup sports washing is going just great. <laughs> what has the Qatar World Cup sports washing got to do with our little weekly digital audio golf program? Oh, I think it's interesting seeing a wider audience reaction to something similar to what golf has been going through. And, uh, you know, it's sport. the sport side of it is sort of getting on with it now, only a couple of days into the World Cup. I, you know, you can see the coverage sort of changing to be about the sport now, which is interesting. Maybe sports washing is working there. I don't know. But, and I, look, I haven't looked into this deeply, but the, uh, and you guys probably know more about this than me, but, Qatar paid a lot for the World Cup to be well, hosted. I don't think there. so. I think it was just considered the best place to have the World Cup, wasn't it? Just don't, don't. And uh, so, yeah. Our uh, World Cup is one of the great sports stories of all time. Like how that ended up there and the FIFA thing and everything is Oh, your internet, Ooh, Jimmy, it's, just... It's a failing yeah. Zoom. We had some very staccato Jimmy Emanuel there, which I'm sure the yeah, audience no, is really going to enjoy. I got kicked off my own hotspot. <laughs> you really are having a day of it, aren't you? Can you repeat what it is you were trying to say? It sounded like you had a good point to make. Yeah. 
the, the the story of Qatar getting the World Cup and the whole FIFA situation is one of the great stories in all of sport. There's podcasts, there's TV shows. It is just a true debacle. That's you know, If we think we've got problems in golf, that is FIFA. We don't hold a candle to FIFA at the time. Yeah, and like regardless of what you think of it, I think observing the reaction of, for, of a much wider audience is is been interesting. So there was there's this whole brouhaha or kerfuffle. Oh, lovely uh, brouhaha around anywhere uh, the peace band around mm-hmm. uh, some one love is it? Is that the yeah? One yeah. Love? So the English team decided not to wear it, um, and uh, you know a commentator did wear it, and the react uh, so. As soon as I saw that, I, I thought, oh, this is going to be fascinating to see what the reaction to that is. And there's this – I think there is both extremes, and the internet does this. So it's surprising, isn't it? Does it, it? Like, it does it better than it does anything else. The yeah. internet is divide. <laughs> That's right. I, I think the pra- the praise, the effusive praise for this action of wearing a, uh, an armband and uh, the, that you could characterise that as over the top. And then the reaction to that effusive praise is also over the top um and i think it's fascinating the comparisons that start to get made and saying look you know you're in somebody else's country you've got to obey their laws and not not questioning at all whether there's uh an ethical thing that should be considered that's above the law of a country like laws law and ethics are completely different things um and uh but at the same time you know, is is it this comparing the bravery of wearing an armband to the bravery of uh, women in Iran protesting? Mm, the like, basketball team going without the hijab and publishing that photo on social yeah. media, the Iranian women's basketball team. Yeah. That's genuine bravery. That is genuine real, bravery. Real and consequences. So there's, you know, it's all, it's fascinating. I've just at this point, I think golf can look at it and go, oh, okay. So the, the rest of the world um, is, is having these reactions and, is sports washing working? It doesn't seem like it's working, but... Well, as I said to you before we came on air, which we don't really do, obviously, being a podcast, we pre-record and then publish, but I wonder whether those who are being accused of the sports washing have actually realised that it's not some attempt to normalise uh, those things that people outside those nations find offensive, the human rights abuses and whatnot. It's more about creating a division. I think this is what social media yes. might have taught us, that... Division is an effective weapon in itself. You don't need people to agree with you. You just need to divide them from the other side, so to speak, if that makes sense. This was a very good point. You sometimes make some very good points. I do occasionally make a good point. I wonder whether that's that's kind of more what it's about. I wonder now, yeah, if that is the case with the Saudis. We've heard that the Saudis in golf with Liv have given up on like, oh, we're not going to come out of this looking good. Um, But... uh, you know, th- that's not what we're in it for anymore. Uh, there's, you know, a business model that we're trying to to execute here. Oh, bad choice of words. Trying to implement a, a business model here. Uh, and there's other objectives that we can get out of this at the end, whether, whether the perception turns out um, as we want it or but not. It is so. interesting. There's a whole you know, mob of people, and let's call them pro-live for want of a better term, those who sort of are either indifferent to or are pro the idea of the the live tour. The, in a sense, the sports washing has worked in that it's gathered those people together on social media in a way that probably wasn't possible before social media. Yeah, and It's kind of using this that is, social media point, tool to do that. 
So in the same way that us golf architecture nerds have all found each other through the internet and social media, so have other groups of people with other uh, interests and and niche kind of areas of interest. And so it's been interesting to sort of watch how that's unfolded. Even those who support live and are pro-live, you don't hear them defending the human rights situation. You, they're not the. They don't say you know everything's okay. There are no human rights abuses. None of them actually say that, as far as I can tell. It's just a more of a. But what about create that doubt? But that what division about of, what about isms? And, yeah, and all those. Sort of, I, th- I think that's one of the things about it is I've been thinking about this more doing a few other appearances and things and TV and whatever, and they talk about oh sports washing and is it working? I think what sports washing success is is. Up to the people trying to do it, right? So it'd be fascinating to get someone who's been involved in one of these situations like Qatar or Saudi and say, what What was the end game? What did you mm. actually want out of this? Because we all make the assumption of what they want, but we, we are literally guessing mm. because none of us have ever been involved in trying to sports wash something. True. So you know. we, we also don't know what the local political domestic scene demands. I spoke to Arthur McMillan about this, who covered the Middle East for a long time as a journal, and he said, don't underestimate the importance of the domestic political scene Hmm. in what you see happening on the international stage. So we are well out of our depth with all of this stuff, but it's sort of interesting to uh, watch it unfold. Um, What else did we have on this? You got anything else, Jimmy, just quickly before we finish up? Anything for you uh, being no, on the ground there? No. Nothing's come up that you've uh, logged? Have you got anything? No. I don't think I really want to talk about the old PGA sponsor debacle thing, which seems to have been bubbling away for those who might have missed it. The head of CME, biggest, the huge sponsor of the LPGA, run the end-of-year event, the CME Group Tour Championship, biggest single winner's check in women's golf, $2 million, Lydia Co. won on uh, Sunday for winning the tournament. And the sponsor got up, or he came out on Thursday, claiming that no LPGA players turned up to the Tuesday night dinner. I guess we are talking about it then. We kind of are, but <laughs> to sort of give a bit, there's something very interesting going on there. I'm not sure what it is. It was a very odd thing that happened for him to say the things he said. There's got to be more to it. The way he said them, that's right. Those, I think that should have been safe for behind closed doors. I'm going to give once again and say that Rod sometimes comes up with good things. Your column on it the other day, I think, covers it very well where it's there's fault of the LPGA, there's fault of the players, and there's fault of the sponsor. Yeah. Everyone involved, there's something else that's going on here. Um, Angela Stanford was on Twitter very actively mm-hmm. engaging with people about it, but obviously comes from the player's side, so I think there's more there. Um, I think I think it's interesting to briefly touch on it that the LPGA, as in terms of its leadership, is very different um, under Molly. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to say her <laughs> surname because I, I've got nothing. Stumble barrel. her... As opposed to Mike Wan, who was very visible um, commissioner and and very active guy. So um, I think there is some other things at play there that will need to be sorted through before we get to the bottom of what exactly happened. You you hope that that does happen because the LPGA for mine, at a time of extraordinary turmoil at the top of men's professional golf, the LPGA has the product, it has the players, it has everything. It has become the alternative for a lot of ardent golf fans who've just decided they're not interested in the PGA Tour yep. thing, but they're still interested in golf. LPGA really is going and just great. And week to week, they produce a fantastic product with lots of top players in the field always. You never get these fields on the LPGA where you go, oh, there's really nobody of any note playing. There's always five or six of the world top ten in all of their fields. They're right on the cusp of you know, getting the respect that they deserve, and you just hope that, that 
that that keeps moving forward. Um, yeah. Uh, there, do we think there was some element of staging to this? Uh, it feels like this, it. some sort of grandstanding like going on here. The the circumstances, as I understand it, was he said, "Oh, can we turn the lights on and have all of the LPGA uh, players who have attended this dinner stand up and we can congratulate them?" Knowing full well, surely knowing full well that there were none there, so it's must he can't be. be the guy who essentially built the entire tournament, which he is yep. apparently from a pro am to the biggest winners' check in women's golf, and turn up to your own tournament dinner not having glad handed every LPGA yeah, player been in the room on the, in way, the, room there. On the exactly way around. Right. So it's there's a grandstanding element to this that I find really annoying. Like that, that's a. Dick move. Is he but, trying? Is he trying to get out of the sponsorship? It's the first thing you have to. Yeah, do. of course. That's yeah, got yeah. to be something to do with that. It's a real dick move. Like, yeah. So it's unsavoury, isn't it? It is unsavoury. It, it it does raise something interesting though about the position of the governing per, the LPGA itself and the PGA Tour and all of these places and sponsors. That relationship is a really unusual one, isn't it? The LPGA exists for the betterment of the LPGA. You cannot be. No matter how big a sponsor is, you cannot be completely beholden to them. The PGA Tour have this issue with the FedEx and the FedEx Cup. You can't let yourself be completely beholden to your biggest sponsor, but it's very, very, very difficult to know where to draw the line. Those relationships must be difficult to manage, particularly if they start to sour. Yeah. Well, the PGA Tour has lost Honda as the sponsor of the Honda Classic. Staggering. In light of all this elevated, that's the longest, I believe, the longest title sponsor relationship they had. So, yeah, it's it's an impossibly difficult thing to to manage, I think, but um, you know, it, it, it's 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 obviously important. But you're exactly right; you can't let the sponsor run the run the tour. No. I suppose, yeah. um, so, like but juggling, some, definitely, definitely like, something going on there. Like but, juggling chainsaws, Jimmy. Every now and then, there's bound to be a slip up. But my goodness, you got to pay a price every time you do when you're juggling <laughs> chainsaws. I, I uh, dare say we're not going to get to the bottom of what's going on there because I don't think any of the three of us could tell you what CME Group does. They sponsor a tournament. Season long, season no, long. No, no idea. Exactly. I don't be be a financial. But more to the point, as fans and as media who cover the game, let's hope that that relationship is maintained and improves, and that doesn't end because it's a really important. It has a, it has helped. It's one of the things that's helped to elevate the women's game. The last three or four years for the LPGA have been huge, in all sorts of ways. Uh, the way that the, the courses that they're playing for their majors now, all of those things have elevated it. To a certain extent, it's it's on the cusp. I think of being something really special. You'd hate to see this kind of thing uh, derail it. That would be a real shame. I think I'm done, which is unusual for me. Normally, I've got lots to say, but I'm out. Like, oh, okay, no, that's if you're done, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> It's good, was, it's good enough for me, Jimmy. I was about to hark back to the days of payphones and say I'm running out of coins here, so <laughs> we better let you go. Jimmy, thank you, mate. Enjoy your week up there. We'll look forward to your coverage on the website, Golf Australia Magazine, and all the social channels that that uh, particular uh, esteemed publication inhabits. So thanks for joining us today. Been a joy to have you as always. It's been great fun as always, and uh, I really look forward to getting back to the same time zone so I'm not getting up earlier than everyone else and feeling upset. That'll be next week down in Melbourne. We're both looking forward to that, I'm sure, as would Logue be, because we're all going to be down in Melbourne. Logue, good to have you aboard today as always as well. Yep. Thanks, Rob. One, have you got all the show notes done? Links and everything ready to go? I've made some notes. You would see that in the shared in notes. In the shared notes. Life's very happy with I, I was just looking at them. That, that is that is the greatest innovation in this podcast's history. He's colour-coded them. It's, a, it's fantastic. The punctuation is fantastic. Everything about it's good. It's clean. If only people could see the show notes. One day we'll publish them. There'll be a book one day.
That's it. So you blokes don't stuff them up, okay? <laughs> Just follow the rules in there that I've laid out. I, I, I genuinely don't like to go in there and do something because I feel like I'm <laughs> You're you know, sullying I'm, I'm, it. I'm, 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 I'm sullying your work. Episode 124. Done. We'll be back next week with episode 125 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.